0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Sorn. I am the lead pastor of Renovation Church. Uh, welcome to the fall. Uh, I know many of you got kids back in school. The Vikings are playing today. Uh, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, and uh, we're so excited because we've got some cool things going on here. House group sign start in just two weeks. And mostly we are getting so pumped because we are getting so close to getting back in our building. And so we are still on target for getting back on October 1st. That is amazing. Uh, now, anything can happen, right? If you just drive by there, and I always encourage you to do it, just drive by there this weekend even. It's insane. Like, they're developing all 10 and a half acres. Our building is more than doubling in size, and so this is a massive project. We're still aiming for October 1st. Obviously, anything can happen, but that is, that is our hope and prayer, and so schedule-wise, we'll be here in this gym uh, for two more weeks, so September 17th and the 24th, and then we're back in the building, so... I'm pumped. I hope you're pumped. Um, now, when we get back, I've had a couple of people ask me, is it finished? No, it's not. There's actually still six and a half months of construction when we get back. It's a huge project. And so when we get back, the expanded lobby should be done. Our expanded worship center, uh, it's almost that's almost basically done now. Uh, and then most of our parking lot should be done by the time we get back. So we'll be able to actually have services in there, again. So, and I would encourage you even on October 1st, start praying about a friend that you can bring. I mean, God's doing crazy things in this church, and I'd love for you to bring someone along to see what's happening. Okay, uh, this morning we are starting a brand new series after 14 weeks in Zechariah this summer. Uh, We're gonna do a three week series called Remember Who You Are. And I think this is a really important theme in the Bible because in Scripture, God talks about identity a lot, right? He talks often about who you are as one of his followers. I mean, if you think about it, as a Christian, you're told that you are chosen This is identity, right? You are set apart. You're adopted into his family. You're forgiven. You're treasured. You're an ambassador, right? And we could go on and on and on and on. And why is that? Why is there so much about that in Scripture? It's because your identity is really important. God wants you to know who you are because who you are, your identity, is what controls so much of your thinking and so much of your actions. And so what we're going to do in this series is we're going to take three weeks— We're going to look at three different scripture passages on three different Christian identities, all from the biblical sacrificial system. Okay, so this is actually going to be really unique. And we're going to start week one with your identity that you are a priest. I come back next week and we're going to talk about how you as a Christian are a temple. And then we're going to talk about how you are an instrument in the hand of God. So we're going to get theological. We're going to get historical. We're going to get practical uh, all at the same time. So let's start with today's topic. Uh, You are a priest. Did you know that? You are a priest. This is unbelievable. Okay, let's see this in the scriptures. Everybody, uh, grab a Bible, whether you brought your own or you're using an app. A couple of weeks, we'll get back in our building. We'll have our Bibles under our chairs again. That's going to be amazing. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but if you grab the Bible from the table, uh, we're on page 828. Otherwise, you can turn to First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. And this is a letter from uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter. And as we look at this, uh, you might feel like this is a strange teaching, okay? especially if you grew up Catholic, which is about 75% of you uh, in this room. <laughs> or you grew up Orthodox or Episcopalian, or you actually had a priest leading your church. But I want you to see what the scriptures actually say on this, not just a church's tradition. So let's look at this. First Peter chapter 2, we're going to start right at verse 4. He says this, he says, as you, that's Christians, as you come to him, the living stone, so he's talking about Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to talk a little bit more about how people are built up kind of as a temple, but we're going to get more to that next week. So for now, let's jump down to verse 9. And in verse 9, he writes this. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay, this is amazing. So twice here, we see that Christians are called priest, all Christians, that verse 4, that you are a holy priesthood. Verse 9 says you are a royal priesthood. Uh, If we were to turn to Revelation uh, chapter 5, we would read that all Christians are priests who serve God. Now, I want to explain to you uh, what this means, but first I need to tell you why this feels even a little funny to read in the first place, right? Because the only reason that this even feels funny when I say you are a priest is because the church in history lost sight of this biblical truth. And we kind of messed it up, and so now it feels funny to us. And so if you go back into medieval times, what happened is the church began to elevate the leaders of the church, and they began to call them something different. And soon enough, they began to call them priests. And now these priests were elevated to kind of like a special class of people that had special access to God and special knowledge to God that the common people didn't have. And these priests somehow became in this place where they were the ones that just dispensed God's grace to the people. And then they said that they did that through what they determined were seven sacraments. Uh, sacraments like a confession or the Eucharist, which is communion or confirmation, and on and on and on. And even visually what happened over time is the leaders of the church were called priests, and they started to even visually dress different, right? And they had different robes and garments that they had to set them apart. Now, if you think about it, what happened over time is the church in medieval times essentially reverted back to the Old Testament way of thinking rather than good New Testament theologies. Because if you go to the Old Testament, right, the Israelites, they had priests. Okay? And when they needed to do something spiritual, they needed to experience forgiveness, you would go to the priest, and the priest would offer a sacrifice. You would bring the animal, but they would offer a sacrifice for your sins. And the priest essentially was kind of an intermediary between you, the sinner, and God up here. And essentially, the Catholic church over time did the same thing with a Catholic priest. They became the intermediary between the person and between God. But that's not the teaching of the New Testament. The New Testament says those priests of old, their function, their purpose, was to be a shadow for what was to come. And what was to come? What was to come was Jesus, and Jesus was our final sacrifice. Jesus was our high priest. We talked about this in Zechariah, actually. He was our high priest who offered the final sacrifice. And now all Christians share that priestly role under our high priest, Jesus. And so what happened in history is about 500 years ago, in, uh, 1517, Martin Luther comes along, the great reformer, and he begins to study the scriptures. Now, many people didn't even have access to the scriptures, but they couldn't even read it in their language. But Luther did, and he's studying, and he's studying passages like ours, 1 Peter chapter 2, and he comes up with essentially what is one of the key doctrines of the Protestant church is what we would call the priesthood of all believers. Now, I don't know if you've heard this before, if you've ever studied theology, this is a really common Christian doctrine, but it's basically the biblical tr- That every Christian shares in Christ's priestly status, and therefore, there is no longer this special class of people who have a special access to God and do all the ministries. We all have the Holy Spirit, and so we're all priests. Now, we still need pastors. I was really close for a second. I I don't know if you were getting nervous, but I was getting nervous. Because the Bible says that God has gifted and appointed certain people to teach the word of God. And we also read in many of the pastoral epistles that God wants churches to appoint elders Right to oversee the flock, to shepherd the flock, counsel the flock, even discipline the flock. So there still is a need for church leadership and church structure, but now there's there's a flatness in that everybody, all of us in this room who are believers, have the same access to God. right? And we can all do the work of the ministry. In fact, I want to put on the screen here, really, we're going to just work through what are the kind of two main ways that you are a priest. So here's the first one. Number one, you are a priest because, number one, you have access to God like a priest. Can I just say how much I missed the screen this summer? Uh, I just want to just hug it right now. Uh, And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have two. It's just going to be incredible. Okay, you you have access to God like a priest. So look at verse 9 again, if you have the word in front of you. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. Okay, it says you are a royal priesthood. You know what that means? It means not only you're a priest that has free access to God, you're a royal priesthood. It means you are a child of the king. So think about like a castle. If you in the old days, you were going to go to a castle and you were going to visit the king and you were just a regular person, you can't just go walk up and visit the king, right? You need to go through an intermediary that's going to allow you access to the king. But if you are a child of the king... You could just run jump up on your father's lap on the throne, right? That's why Hebrews 4 says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because we're his kid. Right? Just as in the Old Testament, the priests were actually born into this special class of priests through the family tree, the line of Aaron. We today, you are born into the priesthood by being born again into God's family. You're a child of the king. You're a royal priest. And God wants you to know that you have access to his presence. This is one of the things that the Bible lays out at the death of Jesus. Now, if you've seen this in the Bible before, maybe you haven't, but when Jesus dies on the cross... It says that one of the things that happens at that exact moment is the temple curtain in Jerusalem miraculously rips open. So in the temple, you have a couple of different rooms. There's the holy space, and then in the back, there's the most holy space. We call it sometimes the holy of holies, and there's a temple curtain dividing those two rooms because in the holy of holies, God's presence is said to dwell in a special way, and even the high priest, could only, he was the only person who could go in the Holy of Holies, and he could only go in once a year. But when Jesus dies, that curtain miraculously rips open. Why? Because it's signifying to all of us that every believer now, not just the priests, every believer can have access to God's presence. So in a sense, we're all priests. And I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that we understand how revolutionary that concept is. Like, it feels kind of normal to us because we've been living in that for a long time now. But I just want you to know, this was absolutely baffling to people in these days. And it still is to a lot of people around the world today. Yeah, In fact, this, this, this doctrine that we're teaching on this morning was so bewildering to the Romans that they actually incorrectly labeled Christians as atheists during the first few centuries. And you say, why, what? why in the world would they call us atheists? It's because they could not comprehend why Christians didn't have temples and priests and sacrifices, basically like every other religion, right? But the Christians were just meeting essentially in homes, and they didn't have priests. So what in the world were they doing? They couldn't comprehend it. The Romans were like, how can you even reach God without that intermediary in between you and God? But they could, right, because Jesus was our intermediary. He was our sacrifice. We are his children. And he then sent, he and the Father send the Holy Spirit to us. And so I just want you to think about how awesome this biblical truth is this week. So when you get to work tomorrow, or you're at home, or wherever you are, your desk, or, or your, your station, or your truck, or you're at home with your kids, wherever you are, Monday morning, and just want you to stop for a second maybe even look around at your coworkers or your kids and just for a moment go whoa i'm a priest i i don't know if you all know this but i'm a priest i right now i have access to my father the king of kings the god of the universe whoa right shouldn't that blow our mind a little bit we just become so accustomed to it we're like oh yeah i'm gonna to talk to god this morning whoa you are priest right remember who you are right that identity thing really matters okay there's another part of this passage that i i want to show you another key part of you being a priest i want to pull something out of verse 5 again so look look down to 5 if you still have it open peter writes, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and what do you do He says, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he's getting at what was the function of the priest. Now, a priest in the Old Testament did all sorts of things, right? So they would offer sacrifices on behalf of the people, and they would provide instruction, they would counsel, they would pray for people, they would declare the praises of God. But now, in the New Testament, since we are all priests, right, we all are to fulfill this role. We're to offer our lives as a living sacrifice for God and for other people. We're to be disciples who make disciples, as David Nelm says. So here's here's the second part of you are a priest. So number two, you are. So not only do you have access to God like a priest, and that makes you a priest, but number two, you are, you, not just me, you, are to serve God's people like a priest. Even that was at the end of verse 9. It says every single one of us should be declaring the praises of God, who has brought us into this marvelous light. And I think the Protestant church, which is a church that you're in, uh, this is not Catholic, I'm, I'm, I'm married. Um, I don't know why I just said that, but I just did. Uh, number one, you, you have access to God like a priest. I think in the Protestant church, we've done a really good job with that uh, for the most part over the last 500 years. Uh, number two, I'm i I'm not sure that Martin Luther would be all that impressed with us 500 years later. Now, I'm not sure. Maybe we have a C minus in the Protestant church. And so what I want to do over the next few minutes is I just want to share a few different examples as I, I'm going to look at all sorts of different types of church, denominations of church, small and large churches. And I just want to walk out how we're missing this key biblical doctrine in our churches today. That we all are to serve God's people like a priest. So let's, let's talk about a bunch of different churches. Let's start with the mainline Protestant church. Now, if you don't know what that is, the mainline Protestants are like a Methodist Lutherans, uh, Presbyterians, Episcopalians. Uh, many of you grew up in these churches. Uh, I grew up in a mainline Protestant church. Uh, I was not saved. I didn't know Christ. It was not a church that preached the gospel. It was a church where the pastor came in, uh, and in a, in a sense... Uh, On this level, not actually all that different from the Catholic Church. The pastor would come in, he had his really, really fancy robes on, and he would come in separately with the candles beside him, and he was the only one who could do the sacraments and many of the functions of the church. And I just remember as a kid, whenever we did go to church, I remember looking at the pastor and thinking, like, he is so other right? He's different. He's in a special class by himself. But that's not what Peter or John in Revelation are laying out. That's not what they want for the church when they're talking that we all are priests, that we're all the same. Right, That's one place where I think we're missing in America. But other churches are missing it too. Let's talk about the megachurch, okay? like a, a large evangelical church or even a large charismatic church because I think they too struggle with living out the priesthood of all believers. Our, our larger churches today are somewhat notorious for their sort of rock star celebrity pastors, right? And these are the pastors that they do all of the teaching, right? And then the people in their churches do all of the what? All of the... I don't know, right? All of the maybe consuming. This was what we sometimes call at our church cruise ship Christianity. Well, what is that? What's happening there? It looks very different than all the robes and everything, but it's essentially the same problem. We've we've upgraded or downgraded maybe pastors again to this special priestly class where they're different and special, right? And I just want to tell you something. Pastors aren't that special. Okay? And we create problems for the church when lay people make pastors out to be special. Or when pastors themselves think that they're special. Actually, not once, but twice. In the last year now, I've had large church pastors tell me personally that they're, and maybe it's because we're one of the only churches in Minnesota still, this breaks my heart, that doesn't have a live stream intentionally. But they've told me that their Sunday morning live stream was so important because people from all over the country can listen to them. And they tell me how people from small towns in New Hampshire or Alaska or Alabama sit at home on Sunday mornings and they listen to these people from Minnesota teach the Bible. And I always respond this way. Maybe this is too harsh, but this is how I feel. I say, is, I'm just wondering, is the Holy Spirit not working in Alabama anymore? Like, is there not a church in Alabama The pastor has the Holy Spirit that they could go to? Is there not like a a Bible study or a home group or a small group or a house church where this person could go and actually have another Christian see them, look them in the eye, care for them, visit them in the hospital, help them with their kids, challenge them, encourage them, love them through the Holy Spirit? I just ask, are the only priests left in America those who have 10,000 views on YouTube? Or could it still be true that every Christian is a priest and that every Christian can minister to one another? We're missing, we're losing this key doctrine again of the priesthood of all believers. Now, let's go to a different group. Sometimes it's the small Bible-believing or evangelical churches that point the finger. They point the finger at the mainline Protestants in their fancy robes, or they, they point the finger at the celebrity pastors. But I think the small church struggles just as much with not living out this biblical doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. So over the last three years, statistically, uh, more pastors have quit the ministry uh, than any other time in in my lifetime, at least. And most of that is happening in uh, small churches. And I've I've read all the studies, uh, all the articles on why that's happening, and I would summarize it for you this way. Pastors are quitting and they're walking away, and they would say the number one reason that they're walking away from their churches is because they are expected to do too much, they say, I am expected to lead, and think of the broad spectrum here. I'm expected to lead an organization like a CEO. I'm supposed to raise money like a professional fundraiser. I'm supposed to cast vision. I'm supposed to be an incredible communicator. And they say, then I'm supposed to marry and bury and counsel everyone and then visit every single person in the hospital. And it's too much. But often when I've had the chance to have those conversations with pastors personally, I'll say to them, it may feel like you have to do all those things, but who said you had to do all those things? Who who said that you had to counsel everyone? Who, Who said that you had to visit everyone? See, I think even our small Christian churches have forgotten the priesthood of all believers. And we have made it so common in America to make out the local pastor as the only one who can counsel and minister. And quite frankly, my friends, that's unbiblical. And so what does the Bible, the Word of God, actually instruct the Christian leader, the pastor to do? Let's look. I'm going to show this verse to you on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4. It says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets. So who are we talking about here? This is going to be a list of Christian leaders. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. And what is their role? To visit every person in the hospital. Oh, oh, it actually doesn't say that. What does it say? What's their role? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So what are the leaders of the church to do? They're to equip the people to do what? To do the work of the ministry. And why can we do that as leaders? Why can we equip you? Because you are all priests, and you all have an oar, and you all have the Holy Spirit in you. I love in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is talking, he uses the metaphor of the body, that the Christian church together is a body, and we all have different parts and different roles. And Paul continues to say through that chapter, but the same Spirit that is in me, is in you. And I can't tell you how much I believe in that as a Christian leader. In in so many ways, I feel like it has saved my ministry. In so many ways, I feel like it's one of the main reasons that I'm still in ministry today, almost 20 years later. And it's simply because I don't believe that there is anything special about me. I don't believe that I have every spiritual gift right? I maybe have one or two, right? The Lord gifted me maybe with preaching or administration, but there's so many I don't have. I am not a counselor. I am not a shepherd. You don't want me sitting across from you trying to help you fix your marriage. It's going to get worse if you meet with me, right? (laughs) That's just, that's not my gift. And is that okay? I don't think you have every gift, right? Why are you laughing so hard at me? (laughs) And so at this church, we made a commitment to live out Ephesians 4. You know, in a lot of ways, I think that's why we've seen a lot of the growth that we have. Because I don't have to care for everyone. In fact, I know that the Bible commands me not to. And so what I've done then is I've equipped other pastors. And together we're equipping our elders. In our church, our elders are our house leaders. They're elders. That's what a biblical elder is. Someone who shepherds counsels the flock and then we've divided our people into house groups where they have an elder counseling and looking after them and that's who you do want to talk to when your marriage is having a hard time because they are going to do it better than me anyways and they're a priest just like me and just like you but i don't think we can i don't think it would be right of us to kind of point the finger at all of these different churches and then not turn that finger around and point it at ourselves so Renovation Church, let's talk about a couple ways that we need to remember this doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Uh, for one, let me give you a few examples. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, David, uh, we've got these friends who are really struggling in their marriage, and I'm wondering if you and the church could put on a marriage seminar, and I think that would really help them. Or uh, similarly, sometimes someone will come to me and say, Hey, Pastor David, I, uh, there's just like a ton of new moms in my neighborhood, in my area. Most of them don't go to church. I'm wondering if the church, if you and some of the pastors and leaders could start like a a, a new moms program at the church and maybe I could invite them to that. And why do we talk like that in America? I think it's because we've lived under this unbiblical false paradigm for so long that the only people that can do things are this pastoral class, but that's just not true. And so I'll often say back to that person, you know, I think that God has put that couple who's struggling with their marriage in your life for a reason in your life and so you invite them over to your house and have dinner with them develop that friendship deeper and start pouring into their marriage that's going to be way more effective than any class we could put on anyways if you feel like god's given you a heart for new moms then start like a new mom's brunch at your house, like first Tuesday of the month. You know, read, read a, a Bible story or some scriptures at the beginning of it. God has put something on your heart for a reason. And I want to ask each and every person in this room, because you all have the Holy Spirit in you, what's God calling you to do? Not what's he calling the church to do, what's he calling you to do? Because remember who you are. You're a priest. Let God use you. And let me just close with what I think is, is maybe the biggest thing that we need to work on. I think this is a huge growth area for our church in this area. Because if we're going to fulfill our mission, and the mission of our church is to follow Jesus and help others do the same. Like if we're not going to rest until every person in our city has heard the gospel, then this biblical doctrine, the priesthood of all believers, is actually so, so essential to us figuring that out. Because let me just share you a hard reality. A lot of pastors won't say this, and I'm just going to be straight up honest. Over half of the people in our city are never going to come to church. No matter how many times you invite them, they're just never going to come. They're not. And the only way then they're going to meet God is if you, the priest, who's had access to God, brings God to them. Because you know them, you work with them, you live next to them. They're not gonna come to our church. Plenty of people will, but lots of people won't. And so we need to bring the gospel to them. We've got to get back to biblically remembering who we are, that you're a priest. You you have the same spirit in you as the apostle Paul. And you can share the gospel. And so share it. You know, for, for a lot of us. The only evangelistic strategy that we have, if we even have one, is to invite someone to church to hear the pastor share the gospel. And that's good. Keep doing that. We've seen so many lives transformed because of that. But if we're going to reach that other half of people, we've got to remember this. That each and every one of us is a priest that can share the gospel. And I just want to tell you, as a person who loves church history, the way that God has moved often, not every time, but most of the time when he moves most mightily, is when the church remembers this doctrine. Like if you go back to the first few centuries of the church, when there was just explosive growth in Christianity, it happened because the church wasn't institutionalized yet. And the church wasn't professionalized yet. And so every person felt like, yeah, I'm a priest. i got the Holy Spirit in me. i got to go share the gospel, right? Or even today, think of the Timothy Initiative, that video that we watched. They've reached 2 million people for Christ in 15 years. Come on. That's insane. How is that happening? It's because they're just training regular people up. They're saying, hey, you've got the same spirit in you as the Apostle Paul. You've got God in you. So I want to train you to go out and you can start a church under an orange tree, right? And let's just make this happen. And God is using that and he's blessing that. And the Lord just moves mightily when we rediscover that. When we remember that God has gifted mightily not just pastors and preachers, but paramedics and plumbers. Okay, God wants to use you right where you're at, right where you live, right where you work to influence the world around you for Jesus Christ. And so you remember who you are. You're a priest. Let me pray. Lord, we just thank you uh, so much for your goodness and your kindness. The fact that you would call us a priest. The fact that right now, each and every person in this room can have access to you, they can experience you, and that you can use them to do mighty, mighty things in your name. That we are just in all of that, and we just praise you for that. It's in the name of your son Jesus that we pray. Amen.